everybody. Welcome to another episode of Two Strike Noise. Your, you know, it's got to be in your top 17 or 18 baseball history podcasts. Uh, I'm one half of the show. My name's Jeff. Other half, as always, is Mark A. Johnston. Mark, how you doing, sir? Oh, man, it's good to be here back in the uh, the seats uh, of, of honor doing the show, talking to our wonderful listeners. All right. Well, that's enough kissing up. Let's... Yes. Uh, Let's let's move on. I'm not going to say I'm just going to say it's good to be back. We weren't here last week. I think we made that clear because I had a trip. Uh, I was on for work last week. I was in Pittsburgh again. So uh, I did some baseball stuff, though, while I was there. Oh, that's good. Not usually a lot of baseball stuff going on in uh, in October in Pittsburgh. But <laughs> <No> <laughs> did it. So uh, let's get right into our BP segment and talk about that real quick. First of all, Mark, I made a trip uh, specifically uh, to go to the University of Pittsburgh campus because that is where the former Forbes Field was. Yes. We've talked a lot about things that have happened at Forbes Field. Of course, uh, Bill Mazeroski's you know, hit the, the walk-off home run in game seven over the left field wall off of none other than uh, former guest Ralph Terry. So that was, uh, that's pretty interesting. It just for my own sake, having talked to Ralph Terry. So I, I knew that there was part of the wall still stands there. So I wanted to go see that. I know Home Plate is uh, in a, the middle of a library somewhat uh, yes. in the muse- in the uh, library that's right across the street. So I made my way there. It's pretty cool. It's uh, really the, the exact center field, kind of the corner of center field, the way that Forbes Field was laid out. And I got to look at it, touch it. Kind of interesting. The home plate area I went in, it's uh, there's the the last home plate from Forbes Field is under a plexiglass uh, thing in the floor in the middle of a hallway. I have been told by one of our friends that that is not the actual location. It's hovering above the actual location, which is a floor below in the middle of a woman's bathroom. Which you did go check out, but got into a lot of trouble. <laughs> I did. Yeah, they asked me not to come back. But yeah, they, they have some bricks down where the rest of the outfield wall was. So you could kind of feel it or not feel it, but you could kind of see where it went. And there was a plaque where the ball went over the wall when Mazeroski hit that home run. So for me, it was totally worthwhile. It made me happy. And it was a good hour diversion from doing what I was doing, which was work. So. Forbes Field. Yeah, so. that's awesome. Not not a lot of us geek types would go check that out, but uh, yeah, it doesn't surprise me with you, or wouldn't surprise me with me. Well, yeah, it's it's worthwhile. It's a quick visit. There is also the Roberto Clemente Museum there in Pittsburgh, not by the wall, but uh, I was all excited to go to that too until I realized that it is not a walk around museum. You have to call and make reservations, and they only have so many each day. So I did not get to go to the Roberto Clemente Museum. Oh. Wow. So it must be a real like intimate experience. If yeah. You have to call. Wow. Yeah. So I, I, neat. I think I've got another trip planned for Pittsburgh in the near future. So I'm going to, cool. as soon as I find out dates, I'm going to try and book that because they definitely want to see that. That has to be awesome. Yeah. Especially since we're going to be talking about Roberto Clemente at some point today. So just file yes. that away. Uh, Mark, I was watching the, uh, the NPB playoffs along with the MLB playoffs and wow, did I see something you will never see in, in, in the majors. <laughs> like I, I don't even know if you would have ever seen it in the majors, but definitely not in this day and age in Major League Baseball. So it's the top of the first inning, right? The game has just started. Uh, this is essentially in, I believe, kind of their their championship series. It's not the, uh, the, the climax series that's going on right now. But top of the first inning, the first two batters get on. Via, I think it was a single and then a walk. So there's runners on first and second. Up comes the number three batter. And what does he do? He lays down a sacrifice bunt. Wow. <laughs> no way, really? Yeah. Laid down oh a gosh. perfect sacrifice bunt, moves the runner, runners over to second and third. The, the number four hitter then doubled them both in. Well. So, I mean, it absolutely worked. Yeah. But. Oh, wow. You, you, a number three guy laying down a sacrifice bunt with two on in the top of the first inning. It amazes me that a number three hitter knows how to bunt. Uh, yeah. And he, well, I mean, he did a great job. Fundamentals. Yeah. You'll just never, you're never going to see that. No, no. I don't way. know if you would have, you know, 150 years ago. So it was, it was really oh. interesting. 
There, there are times now when you've got a dead pull left-handed hitter and everybody's shifted, not as drastically anymore, but shifted and, and he could lay down a bunt anytime and get to first base and they, they never do it. Yeah, but this is even with runners on. That's which incredible. Is, it's, it's at the beginning of the game. A Nobody bunts has, anymore. An out had not been recorded at any point in this game, and they the first out was a sacrifice bunt. That's amazing. Yeah. Let's see. Hall of Fame. A couple of names came out. The Hall of Fame uh, put out for the Contemporary Baseball Era Committee, which considers candidates whose primary contributions came from 1980 and on. So this is right in our wheelhouse. Uh, let's see. A couple of umpires made the list. Ed Montague. Certainly mm-hmm. remember that name. And yep. Joe West. Cowboy Joe. Yeah. Now, Joe West just retired. D- don't they have any kind of waiting period even for the contemporary ballot? <laughs> I guess not. <laughs> Man. Joe, I'm 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 going to say no to Joe. Joe just hung around to get that that record. And then he now he's off singing about marijuana with his crappy country band. <laughs> uh, I mean, he did invent the West vest, I guess. That's what That's umpires true. wear under their uh, under their shirts or whatever they're wearing to their chest protectors. Uh, other names: Bill White. I think he's going in for for administrative purposes, not for playing career. Uh, some managers: Cito Gaston, Davy Johnson, Jim Leland, and Lou Pinella. There's some good ones. Are on there. Yeah. So, I mean, Cito won a couple World Series yeah. with the Blue Jays. Davey Johnson, obviously the 86 uh, Mets. And then he went on to manage a lot of other teams. Jim Leland, of course. I think of Jim Leland. I think of the uh, of the Pirates, really, with Bonds yes. and Benia. But, man, he managed the Tigers. I think he managed. Did he manage the Marlins? Yeah, I think he managed the Marlins. He might have even won a World Series with the Marlins. And then Lou Pinella, who managed the Reds in 1990. We're not going to talk about that. Uh, And then also on the list is executive Hank Peters. You know, you could give Pinella a little credit for, you know, the the Mariners going from an also-ran to actually making a playoffs. Yeah, but, you know, Lou Pinella is also the guy that said Ricky was jaking it in New York when he had a torn hamstring. So Lou Pinella can go back to his little retirement community up there in Seattle and shove it. (laughs) Shag? Go live in shag, Lou. (laughs) Uh, Let's see. Now, Mark, when we started uh, talking before recording, we were talking about uh, baseball seasons wrapping up. Still got a couple of games uh, as we record this, but uh, there's more baseball to be had. I mean, the the Arizona Fall League is already in play. I think they've already started. The Australian League will start pretty soon. And just announced was a new league in the Middle East, in, in Saudi Arabia. Wow. So without getting into the sport washing conversation, which I I don't know if this is part of that whole campaign but uh they are starting a new league a couple of big names have jumped on board to be part of the uh i guess part of the founding fathers of the league let's see cincinnati reds shortstop hall of famer barry larkin and new york yankees closer and fellow hall of famer mariano rivera wow are some of the big names that are kind of helping to form this league they held a draft an initial draft. It wasn't a full draft, just an initial draft. Some of the names that were taken Robinson Cano, Didi Gregorius, they're both going to be playing. Uh, they wow. were drafted by the Wolves. I don't know what city they're from. Also, Pablo Sandoval was drafted by the Falcons. And a couple of other picks Bartolo Colon, who finally announced his retirement in MLB, was drafted. I mean, he's just going to come out and throw strikes. Yes. Regardless. Uh, Maybe start a new family in in the Middle East, too, to join his other 17 (laughs) families. And uh, let's see, Anderlton Simmons also. Okay. He's kind of the most, (laughs) I feel like he's the most recent. I guess Didi and Robinson Caneo were not too long ago, but whatever. Uh, Let's see. One of the teams is the Mumbai Cobras. And uh, their logo is purple, and frankly, it looks like they've just taken uh, everything from the purple cobras from the movie Dodgeball and stuck it on a baseball <laughs> uniform. 
should be fun. So if you have any promotional material from Dodgeball that has the purple Cobras on it, you should be a Mumbai Cobras fan because you've you've already taken the first step. This kind of got me to thinking, you know, there's uh, people that are always like, oh, why don't they just make all PEDs legal? And then that way everyone can be on the same playing field. I think this league has a chance to do that. <laughs> really? Do you think there's going to be a lot of oversight in a in a baseball league in the Middle East? <laughs> you know, you have a really good point there. Yeah, there's. <laughs> I don't think there's going to be. And these are guys are all going to be old. It's going to be like the the old uh, senior league, but uh, you can you can use PEDs probably. Yeah, I tell you what. Uh, talking about the senior league, that, that was something I found interesting. I, you might have to tune in. Do they have a TV contract? You know? Oh, I'm sure they will. I, I mean, I watched the senior league. I remember that when we when you talked about it. I rem I remember because I was so baseball crazy. Not that I'm not now. That any baseball's on and I'll watch it. Right. I've got another story here. I had not heard. I'm gonna have to uh, have to ask him about this at fantasy camp this year. It's about my favorite pitcher of all time, Dave Stewart, and the 1988 World Series, which is another we don't talk about. Uh, even-numbered World Series, uh, even-numbered years World Series from uh, the 80s and 90s on this podcast because they're not good. But uh, 88 World Series, Dodger pitcher Tim Belcher hit Jose Canseco in the top of the first inning of Game 1. Not on purpose, but he hit him. Dave Stewart on the mound. He was a Game 1 starter for the A's. First batter up, Steve Sachs drills him on the first pitch of the game. Not of the game, <laughs> but of the the bottom of the first inning, Right. Game nice. one. It's his first pitch of the World Series. Drills him. So, uh, you know, announcers are like, oh, he's sticking up for his teammate. That's good. You know, blah, blah, blah. No, uh, actually, Stu said it had nothing to do with Canseco getting hit. The day before, Sachs had told him that he was going to take him deep. <laughs> so Steve Sachs told Dave Stewart he was going to hit a home run off him in the World Series. Stu reportedly said, quote, I'm going to hit you in your neck. And he tried to. <laughs> this is great. This is so Dave Stewart. And I, I'm going to, I had not heard this before. So I'm definitely going to ask him about this. Outstanding. You know what? It, it kind of makes you go. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. That's Dave Stewart. That really yeah. is. He was, uh, I mean, if that stare didn't get you. I mean, right. Uh, let's see. We talk about Chris Berman here, mainly during uh, during Wax Packs Heroes and some of his nicknames. We've both agreed we can we could probably live without most of them. But, yes. you know, they, it is kind of fun to remember some of them. I found an article here and it's uh, from June 27th, 1983. And a very young Chris Berman has got a paper, uh, a newspaper article written about him here. When uh, talking about his uh, his nicknames here, because it was a very novel thing at that point. He had just started doing this. Right. And I got a list of some of these early names, some of which we've talked about, some of which I've never heard before. But uh, some of them are, are kind of OK. And I just say kind of OK. Uh, Randy Bird in the Hand Bush. Yes. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Glenn Mother Hubbard. I think we've talked about that one before. Uh, Ray, I dub the night. Eh. Bill Duran Doran. I, I, I give that one the stamp of approval. It's hard yeah, to I say, like but Duran uh, uh, Doran. Duran Doran. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Todd Caribbean Cruise. That's not bad. Yeah. Jody Davis eyes. <laughs> Because, yeah. uh, see, like now I don't, I have a bad taste in my mouth for uh, Betty Davis Eyes, that song, because uh, I remember staying up as a, as a youth to watch the year-end countdown on, like, New Year's Eve because uh, Physical by Olivia Newton-John was my favorite song of all time at that point. And I was staying up because I'm sure it was going to be number one, and I was very excited about that for some reason. But no, Betty Davis Eyes was number one, Physical was number two. No, see that I remember those days and I remember not being a big fan of Betty Davis eyes, uh, the song. And, but my brother was a huge Olivia, Newton, Olivia Neutron bomb fan. So I was also a big fan of physical and so on. Yeah. And I just thought physical was about aerobics. Yeah, me too. I never be different. <laughs> That's a nice song. We should all get in shape. Yeah. I mean, there was the, uh, the other, uh, version of Marty Feldman eyes. Uh, remember that one? No. 
Yeah. I don't. If you don't know who Marty Feldman is, then it's not funny. But anyway. <laughs> well, I mean, these are Chris Berman nicknames, so most of them aren't. Uh, let's see. Uh, a couple of other ones. Here's your buddy, Britt Third Degree Burns. Or no. Yeah. yeah was it Britt Burns or Todd? Todd Burns. Yeah, close. It's Burns. It, it applies to him as well. Uh, and then Glenn Hey Abbott. <laughs> Which that, okay. one, that one's okay. And then he was our pitching coach in Tacoma when I worked there. Oh, nice. And then here is uh, somebody we've done a, a story on. It's John tonight. Let it be Lowenstein. That's oh, a good yeah. one. And then Julio, let me take you on a sea cruise. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, they're Bermans. If, if you like it, you probably enjoyed some of those. Uh, if not, I've just wasted five minutes of your time. Sorry. <laughs> it's their fault for tuning in. Yeah. Well, I mean, it really is their fault. <laughs> uh mark as as we have said uh baseball season coming down to an end here you know who mr october is obviously everybody who listens to this podcast knows who mr october is we even know who mr november is because he's your favorite player yes. of all time but uh, a couple of uh things here talking about Corey seager and just the playoffs it, not just this year but just how incredible he's been in the playoffs overall Looking at Reggie Jackson's career postseason numbers, 77 games he appeared in, 18 home runs, 48 RBI. Very impressive numbers. Mm-hmm. That's that's a home run every like 2.2 games that he played in. Well, at the time of this recording, Corey Seager had likewise played in 77 games in the postseason. He had hit 19 home runs and 48 RBI. So one more home run in the same amount of games and the same amount of RBI as a guy that is generally considered to be the greatest postseason player of all time. Wow. Very interesting that Corey Seager has been that good. And you got to figure Corey Seager is going to appear in some more postseason games. Yeah, he's I think he's probably got a few in his future. Yeah. And he just rakes in the postseason. So. Again, yeah, he's he's had a great, great career already in the postseason. But uh, to compare it to Mr. October, very interesting. Hmm. Yeah. Let's see. We're out of debuts, by the way. Yeah. It's, it's officially over. So. Yeah. So we're, <laughs> we're someone getting, debuted in November. <laughs> it wasn't in the major leagues. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. Or there were some extenuating circuit. There were a lot of farm accidents in 1894 right. and they had a long season or something. But uh, so we are going to start doing trivia again. We're going to do a little bit different trivia this uh, week because I wanted to talk about Frank Howard. Uh, who just passed uh, a little while ago, just a couple of days ago. We've talked about Frank Howard on this show several times because he's a he's a favorite. Everybody in baseball seemed to love him. He yeah. was a huge, huge man, which always made for great, for, you know, pictures, especially, you know, with Freddie Patek in them. But yes. anybody else like that. So my trivia question is going to be about Frank Howard. And uh, I, I'll let you decide once I... Once I give it to you here, whether we want to answer it today because we're talking about Frank Howard or I can maybe just us, I could just save the answer for next week and see if anybody comes up with it as well. But uh, this is the question during a one week stretch in 1968, May 12th through 18th, Frank Howard hit 10 home runs in 20 at bats. That's uh, that's pretty good. He hit 13 home runs in 16 games. A mark that has yet to be eclipsed. Wow. But it has been tied by one batter. Who was it? Wow, good question. I I mean, it could be from any era. Yeah, I mean, if you do a stat head search, this is going to be pretty easy. So don't do that. Put some thought okay. into it. I mean, you could do it. I'm not going to, I don't tell people how to play immaculate inning because I know some of the answers I come up with. Uh, 13% of people are not putting Charlie O'Brien as their answer. So <laughs> you play it however you want. We're not here to gatekeep that stuff. I think I am going to just hold off. I'll give you the answer next week. There's our trivia question. Yeah, I'm, I'm lost. I got to tell you, I don't know. Give me a week to think about it. All right. Well, I did also want to just talk a little bit about Frank Howard. Uh, again, we've done it before, but uh, since he did pass away recently, nicknames, great nicknames. Hondo, 
which is uh, after uh, the character by, uh, I was was about to say Bruce Wayne, John Wayne. John Wayne, yes. (laughs) Uh, Also, of course, he played for the Washington Senators for a good portion, uh, and he was nicknamed the Washington Monument and the Capitol Punisher, which are just awesome. Those are just great nicknames. The Capitol Punisher, that's beautiful. Yeah, and the Washington Monument, because he was 6'7". 255 right. which today is still pretty big that he's still right. among the tallest to ever play the game but compared to back in in the 60s and in the 50s he was a huge man in baseball yeah. now Absolutely. he's now he's you know Aaron Judge-esque yes so a couple of more things about Frank Howard he's an all-american in both basketball and baseball at the Ohio State University he was drafted by the Philadelphia Warriors of the NBA. He was so good at basketball, but obviously chose to play baseball. National League Rookie of the Year in 1960 for the Los Angeles Dodgers. He twice led the American League in home runs, total bases, and once each in slugging percentage, RBI, and walks, which he he did not walk a lot at the beginning of his career, but then Uh, Ted Williams took over as the manager of the Rangers once they moved to Texas, and he really helped Frank learn patience and started to walk and then led the league in walks. Amazing what Ted Williams can teach you. (laughs) Uh, In 1970, he led the AL in uh, home runs and RBI, 44 home runs, 126 runs batted in. His 132 walks in that year also topped the league and remain a franchise record. On September 2nd, get this, he received three intentional walks from Sam McDowell, two of them to lead off innings. (laughs) what wow so just like just like being the number three batter the third batter in the game having the two guys in front of you on first and second and laying down a bunt here's something you just don't see lead off intentional walks yeah that's uh that's an extreme rarity i mean if i were the d-backs i might think about doing that to Corey seager yeah no kidding (laughs) right about now just uh that kind of boggles my mind uh those kind of things but uh so R.I.P. to Frank Howard. Again, trivia question. In uh, 1968, he had 13 home runs in 16 games, a mark that still has yet to be broken, but it was tied by one player. Who was it? Tune in next week. We'll tell you who that was. That's in, You said 1968, right? Yes. Big year of the pitcher, and he had a year like that. Yeah, I know, right? That's Amazing. incredible. Uh, all right, so that's going to do it for our BP segment. I've got something I want to talk about this week, Mark, so I'm going to go ahead and do it. Uh, So last episode, we dove into the myth of Ty Cobb killing a man. Before that, we debunked the myth of Babe Ruth's called shot in the 1932 World Series against the Cubs. We were uh, in the past unable to find conclusive data to prove whether or not Wade Boggs consumed 5,729 beers on a single cross-country flight before going 12 for 12 the next day against the Mariners or something like that. Yes. This week, however, we have another myth about baseball, a baseball legend even, that I don't think is true. But I am going to let you, our astute listeners, decide for yourselves. Here we go. Uh, I already told you that uh, if you want to learn about Roberto Clemente while in Pittsburgh, be sure to plan ahead. Yes. I learned that the hard way. Since I couldn't tour the Roberto Clemente Museum on this trip, I didn't get to ask anybody the, uh, the actual question of, uh, was Roberto Clemente actually kidnapped while in San Diego during the 1969 season? Hmm. I've, I'm asking it out loud. I'm going to give you some information. Much like the Wade Boggs story, though, this one involves a love of fried chicken. So... <laughs> It's 1969. The Pittsburgh Pirates are in San Diego to take on the Padres. It's Friday night, and Roberto Clemente has had a bad bad day, bad game all around. He gets tossed even from the game by umpire Lee Ware. So back at the hotel, he goes there. He calls his wife. This has nothing really to do with the story. I just found it interesting. But he was complaining to her on the phone that he felt like he was done with baseball, getting ready to hang it up. He was sore, had a bad game, didn't feel like he was playing well. His wife told him, hey, just chill out, finish the road trip. When you get home, we can talk about it. Being a smart husband, 
Roberto listened to his wife. He finished the season and three more after that before his unfortunate death. What I find interesting about this tangent is that Clemente finished the season that he felt he was done with baseball. He finished it with a slash line of 345, 411, 544. Wow. That is a batting average of 345, an on base of 411, and a slugging of 544. He led the league in triples with 12, hit 19 home runs, knocked in 91, and had an OPS of 168, the second highest of his entire career. So we should all be so done. <laughs> yeah, really. Uh, taking a look at my career, and I just think I'm done. You know, kind of for any season like that. Jeez, fifth or something like that in MVP voting. Yeah, hang it up. Yeah. <laughs> so, getting back to the actual story, he's sulking in his hotel room when he decides he's hungry. It's past midnight at this point, but when you're hungry, you gotta you gotta scratch that itch. So he leaves the hotel room and he runs into none other than teammate Willie Stargell. Uh, down there in in the lobby, coming he's coming in as as Roberto's walking out. Pops has a bag of fried chicken, and he explains to Roberto that this is some of the best fried chicken he's ever had. So, with that statement, we can assume clearly it was not Kentucky Fried Chicken. <laughs> wow, I guess they won't <laughs> Yeah, no, Kentucky Fried Chicken, not not calling us. Uh, so Pops gives him directions to where he found himself, this magical chicken, and uh, off goes Roberto for a late night snack. As he is walking there, because he is walking, he notices a car is slowly following him, and Roberto uh, takes notice of it. He gets to the chicken shack, I'm just going to call it, goes in, gets his chicken in a bag, starts to walk back to the hotel, and this car eventually pulls up next to him. A couple of men jump out of the car, with a gun, grab Roberto and throw him in the back and peel out of there. With a gun to his head, they take him to a park. They tell him to get out of the car, ditch the clothes. Don't worry, this store this store is not going there. But just okay, they, good. They they tell him to uh, to get down to your skivvies. I think is something they used to say back in those days. So he is uh, down to his boxers or briefs again. Didn't get to take the tour of the museum, so I can't. Didn't get to ask these type of questions, whether they boxers or briefs. They grab his wallet, which had about $250 in cash in there. They took a ring, an all-star ring, off his finger. These guys have a gun, though, and he's still afraid that they might just kill him. So he tells them that he's a baseball player. And I'm guessing there's some, yeah, sure you are. And <laughs> Babe Ruth totally called his shot against the Cubs in the 32 series. And wasn't just him gesturing to the Cubs in the dugout along third baseline. But because of the angle of the reports, it looked like he was pointing to the outfield. I'm sure they brought it up. Yeah, I'm sure that's what I don't know if they're so bold about it, but I'm sure they brought it up. Well, uh, Roberto is, uh, yeah, he's telling him, hey, I'm a baseball player. He tells him in Spanish. And uh, lo and behold, they are they are uh, Hispanic. So they start talking and and they've got Roberto's wallet and they look in there and there's this players association card. So the mood all of a sudden changes. They are no longer pointing a gun again, you know, putting a gun up against his head. According to Roberto, they almost started to apologize to him. And when they realized he was Puerto Rican, they returned his wallet. They returned his money. They returned his all-star ring. They gave him his clothes back. And even, according to Clemente, even helping him straighten his tie, which he was, for some reason, putting on after midnight to go out to get some fried chicken. A different time. <laughs> he just was a, you know, he was a sharp dresser. Sharp dresser, yes. Then they even drove him back to his hotel before leaving. Goodness sakes. <laughs> but that, that wasn't the end of them, though. As soon as they went around the corner, they, Roberto hears tire screeching. They flip around, they come back, and they flag Roberto down again. Now, he's freaked out now because he's worried that maybe they've had a change of heart and they're actually Padres fans. What, you know, he knows they have a gun, but no, they've just forgotten to return his fried chicken. <laughs> so they handed him the bag of goods and took off again, never to be seen again. Okay, wow. There's the story. Now... To add a bit of color to it, and, and then, then we'll let you decide if this is a called shot kind of tale or a Wade Boggs putting in work on an airplane kind of tale. First things first, this story is entirely shaped only by Roberto Clemente. After this event happened, he didn't call the police. 
He told his wife and a couple of players, but it wasn't until a year later when the Bucks were getting ready to go back to San Diego that he revealed this story to the press. More info here. The Bucks played in San Diego twice that season, once in May and again in August. According to Roberto's narrative, though, this took place during the first visit in May. But as you will remember, he was ejected from the game by Lee Ware the day that this happened. Well, Lee Ware only worked that second series and Roberto was not ejected during the first series. <clears throat> you know, the facts from this story, there's already a couple of contradictions here. Don't seem to be lining up. No, not not, not there. But, you know, maybe he just forgot some stuff. Uh, what I'm really finding hard to believe here, and maybe it's just embellishment. I don't know. But these guys who had a, a gun literally in his mouth at one point while making him strip down to his boxers and robbing him, then they find out he's a baseball player, actually help him get dressed and even straightened his tie. <laughs> This kind of sounds like uh, the kind of thing that the, there's a guy that lived in D.C. for four years that is a certain hue of orange, tells stories about grown men coming up and thanking him and crying while talking to him. This, this has got that kind of vibe to it. So obviously it's a pretty strange tale for somebody, but this is Roberto Clemente. This is not some Nuke Lelouch type, right? People believe Roberto Clemente. Others didn't, but... Uh, this is from this is a quote from David Marinus, who uh, wrote a biography about Clemente. And he said, quote, the story fit perfectly into the mythology of Roberto Clemente as a man of the people respected even by urban desperados. End quote. <laughs> the next time the pirates were in San Diego, the police wanted to talk to Roberto about this. Uh, nothing new was discovered. Presumably, their uh, interaction with Clemente, they'll put them on the straight and narrow, and they went on to be productive members of society. I, I'm speculating. Uh, also, the, be, right? the detective, notably, who went and talked to Roberto Clemente, uh, did leave with an autograph, too. That was in the story. <laughs> as, as would of you or I. Yeah, I don't know. you got to be professional, though. I don't know, Roberto Clemente. Hey, I've got this document you need to sign, Roberto. Don't worry <laughs> that it's a picture of yourself. And could you make it out to Jeff? Yes. Uh, when uh, Clemente, uh, in that first game back to San Diego, took his position in the bottom of the first inning, someone in the, uh, in the right field stands dropped a live chicken over the wall where it uh, immediately uh, started to walk towards Clemente. Maybe it's... it's brother was the one in the bag i don't know earlier but uh, a bat boy came out scooped the bird out from the field now my question is how do you smuggle a live chicken into the stadium yeah they got a chicken in there somehow that's interesting yeah very interesting and it was, it was san diego yeah this, this is what well, it's san diego could this have been the impetus for the san diego chicken <laughs> Chickens are very popular there, I think, at the stadium. So. <laughs> Could this have been like a long con by Roberto Clemente to create the most <laughs> famous mascot on the planet? Uh, Is there well, nothing knows, this man? man couldn't do? No, nothing. Yeah. So anyway, there you go. I'm going to let you, the listeners, decide whether you think Roberto Clemente was actually kidnapped before his uh, kidnappers then found out he was a baseball player. Didn't Roberto, the name Roberto Clemente didn't mean anything to them, but just that he was a baseball player and uh, was Latino. And then they, uh, they helped straighten his tie and <laughs> drove him back to the hotel with a chicken. <laughs> yeah, that's an interesting story. Yeah. I have my doubts until someone proves it differently. I don't know. That's that I, you know, I hadn't ever, I'd never heard that. Yeah. I hadn't either. And uh, when I saw it, I'm like, well, we are talking about that. <laughs> for sure. All right, Mark, uh, looking at the clock, it looks like it is time for our final segment of the show. It is the segment that we have called since uh, we first debuted it. So what the heck? We'll just keep calling it Wax Packs Heroes. There we go. Wax Pack All right, Mark, looking at the scoreboard, I am currently on top 13 to 10. Yeah. I'm just going to mail it in. I got this thing in the bag. 
<laughs> Are you trying to create famous last words or what? Uh, yeah, so uh, we're going to go ahead and play another round uh, today. We're playing first to 20, so I, I've only got to win seven more compared to your 10. If you're new here, this is the way we play the game. We are going to uh, open up some baseball cards from the Wax Pack era. Today it's going to be the 1991 Donruss cards. What we're going to do is we are going to take those. We're each going to open up a pack. We're going to use the baseball reference war of that year, in this case 1991, and we're going to add those up. Whoever's got the highest total at the end they're going to win this round, which I've done 13 times already. Very proud of myself. A couple of extra things, though, that can add or subtract to that score. Anything on the player's face in the card, that means uh, flip-down sunglasses. It means uh, big science teacher glasses. It means a mustache. It means a teardrop tattoo. It means uh, if you've got Brady Anderson sideburns uh, or a Wade Boggs mustache, that's all an extra tenth of a point. If uh, it is a spectacular mustache, we can, in certain circumstances, award a bonus additional tenth of a point because that's awesome. If you are wearing real stirrups where we can see the actual sanitary socks in the picture, you get extra tenth of a point. But two and ones are the opposite way. You're going to get a minus tenth of a point for that. Any awards won that year. Rookie of the Year, Cy Young, MVP, All-Star, or a Gold Glove. That's a half a point for each. If there's a Hall of Famer on the card, whether they're the focus or not, you get a whole extra point for that. If Ricky Henderson appears in any card, regardless of whose pack, I am going to get five points. If Nolan Ryan appears in either pack, Mark is going to get five points. Any pop culture references that we can easily find, half a point for that, unless they were on Sabrina the Teenage Witch, uh, Seinfeld, or The Simpsons, then you get a point for each of those. And uh, if you appeared in the Mitchell Report or you were suspended for PEDs, or we're going to extend it to domestic violence because uh, that's ridiculous, uh, you're going to get a minus half a point because that's not a good thing. Uh, we're also going to each pick a team. My team shows up in any pack. I get a half a point. Mark's team shows up. He gets a half a point. What team are you picking today, Mark? I think I'm going to go with the Dodgers. That's good. I thought you were going to say the Pirates because I talked about uh, Roberto Clemente. And uh, I'm going to go with the Pirates. There you go. I left it for you. No, I, there's a Reggie Smith baseball card sitting next to me. And so I said Dodgers. All right. Hey, do you. All right. I got a pack here in my left hand, back in my right hand. Which one do you want? Right hand, please. Right hand. All right. Open up this. Uh, these are in plastic. This is a, a rack pack. Oh, do, nice. do I need to get a song called Rack Pack Heroes made just uh, when we open these kind? Or? Yeah, maybe maybe, maybe like a metal song. Okay. I was going to go with an accordion uh, Weird Al type thing, but whatever. Well, we could, we could make a game for that, too. All right, Mark, here we go. Your uh, first card is uh, Minnesota Twin with some definite real stirrups here. Shortstop, Greg Gagne. One of my favorites. All right, so Gags, let's see, 15 years in the big leagues, most of it with the uh, with the Twins, uh, 10 with the Twins, three with the Royals, two with the Dodgers. And uh, let's see, in 1991, he played in 139 games, 265 average, 310 on base, eight home runs, 42 RBI, 11 stolen bases, nine caught stealing. Hmm, not great. 90 uh, OPS plus, and that is good for a war of 2.5. Plus, uh, he definitely has some stirrups on there. So that'll be a 2.6 right out of the gate. Nice. Yeah, not bad at all. You know, Greg never stops earning for me. He was one of my best Stratomatic players. Mm. Played on two world championship teams, the Twins in 87 and 91. Solid shortstop. The guy was just solid. We've talked a lot about inside the park homers. He hit two inside the park homers in the same game in 1986 against the White Sox. That is so random. Off of Floyd Bannister, both of them. Uh, good start there, though. Uh, here you go. You've got third baseman for the Phillies. Uh, he's got a son that's a pretty good player for the Bucks right now, Charlie Hayes. I remember Charlie Hayes. Uh, he was with the Yankees and caught the final out of a World Series. Foul territory, third base. Uh, it must have been in 1996 because that's the only World Series he ever won. Let's see, 14 years in the big leagues, four with the Giants, four with the Phils, a whole bunch of other teams. Good immaculate inning name right here. 1991 with the Phillies, 142 games. He hit 232.57 on base, 12 home runs, 53 RBI, and a 74 OPS plus. And that is a war of minus 0.6. Wow, Charlie, thanks a lot. Yeah, for somebody that's, uh, well, I guess he was uh, he was just a third baseman at that point. He was more of a utility player as he wound down his career. Um, 
Can I have Kibrian's instead? No. <laughs> uh, I think he's got a real thin mustache here. I'll, I'll give it to you. So it's only a minus 0. 0.5. Okay, only. All right, so you're at 2.2, and hey, you've got a Hall of Famer. Hey, here we go. And uh, listeners of the show will know that you pronounce his name completely different than everybody else in the entire <laughs> planet. Robin Yount. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> With the Brewers, Robin Yount. Rockin' Robin, baby. Let's see. The Kid. One of the many, many of the kids. Yes. Uh, nickname. 20 years in the big leagues, every single at-bat he took was with the Milwaukee Brewers. Two-time MVP. Uh, let's see. In 1991, 130 games, 260 average, 332 on base, 10 home runs, 77 RBI, and a OPS plus of 98. And that is good for a war of 0.9. He is a Hall of Famer. So that is a 1.9. And he's got a mustache. So that's going to be just a straight up two, which Beautiful. will pretty much double your score. Yeah. Because you were at 2.1. So congratulations there. Third overall pick in the first round of the 73 draft. Of course, we've talked about his uh, his brother uh, and his misfortune, Larry. Yeah, yeah. Sad story. Yep. Uh, let's see. Accidentally shot friend and former teammate Dale Swain with pellets from his shotgun, hitting him in the back and ear. Ooh. All right, so you're at 4.1. Your next card is a pretty good card. Good Mets player here. Good Mets pitcher. He's got some good-looking stirrups here. It's Doc. Dwight Gooden. Nice. Or if you're an Office fan, you might refer to him as Dwight Gooden. (laughs) Let's see. Dwight, 16 years in the big leagues, 11 with the Mets, 2 with the Yankees, and then Cleveland, Tampa, and Houston in there. I did get to use uh I did use that immaculate grid last week. There was a Tampa Houston uh square and I put in Doc Gooden and got a very nice low score. Nice. Let's see. In 1991, the 13 and 7 with a 3.6 ERA in 27 games, 190 innings pitched, 150 strikeouts, a 102 ERA plus. And that is good for a war of 3.3, plus he's got the stirrups, so that'll be a 3.4. I do not see a mustache here. I think he was usually pretty clean-shaven anyway. Yeah, I think so. That's not a bad score. Let's see. No, I'll take that. Cy Young Award winner in 1985, Rookie of the Year in 84, four-time All-Star, two World Series, uh, both with New York teams, and won a pitching triple crown as well. Now, uh, Dwight is uh, not in The Simpsons. I was thinking that's uh, Daryl Strawberry, yeah, right? Darryl, yeah, exactly. But uh, Dwight's guy, I mean, Dwight's got to be in a million other things. I think he's got to have some sort of, I mean, l- legal <laughs> troubles, yes. And he was <laughs> suspended during his career, so. You know, he was a pretty decent hitter. Uh, eight career home runs for a pitcher. Hmm, not bad. And you know what? I know we've just talked about him recently because here uh, American rapper Action Bronson name-checked him in a 2015 song called Baby Blue. And I remember we talked about that. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to say that cancels out his suspension and, okay. uh, and <laughs> other charges. So we'll cut you a break there. Well, I think he was in, uh, yeah, VH1, um, Celebrity Rehab with Dr. Drew. Does that count? <laughs> Well, again, do you, do you want do you want me to to count it and then count the suspension, which is a bigger dent than that? Yeah, or, or I guess not. All right, all right, all right. Next, you've got a uh, first baseman for the Rangers, guy that actually won a Gold Glove uh, without playing the position in one season. One of the best hitters of the day, but uh, also clearly did PEDs, though he won't admit it. It's Rafael Palmero. Oh uh, yeah. College teammate of Will Clark at Mississippi State, Thunder and Lightning. Yep. You know, yep. Came up with the Cubs, then uh, went to Texas. Uh, 20 years in the big leagues. 10 with Texas, 3 with Cubs, and then uh, 7 with Baltimore. In uh, 1991, good news for you, all-star. Led the league in doubles, hit 322, 389 on base, 26 home runs, 88 RBI, and a 155 OPS+. Plus. And uh, all of that is good for a 5.8 war. Plus, he was an all-star, so that'll be a 6.3. He's got a mustache in this Diamond Kings card. So uh, that will be a 6.4. Wow. Now, he is mentioned in the Mitchell Report. He was never suspended, but... uh, I think it's just a mention. Yeah, I think think it is. Yeah, so we're going to have to ding you half a point there for that. 
Yeah. Would have been a uh, Hall of Famer. I think, yeah, absolutely. He's right up there in, in, in hits and... Uh, well, yeah, 3,000 hits. You got 500 home runs. 569 home runs. Yeah, 1,835 RBI. I mean, just great, great numbers. But yeah, he, uh, especially if he doesn't admit it, which yeah. he still refuses to do. <laughs> he just... Yeah, he, he actually tested positive in 05. Mm. But uh, let's see. He says he never intentionally used steroids, never, ever, period. Yeah, except for, you know, Jose Canseco, of course, claims that he personally injected Rafael Palmeiro with steroids. Right. And, and, you know, to be fair, I mean, Canseco's Canseco, but his first book, pretty much everything he said in that book was true. I mean, it's come to fruition and it's come out. He, He passed the polygraph test, but he was not asked if he ever used steroids. Yeah, and polygraphed. I don't even think they're uh, admissible in court anymore. So He's, Yeah, he said he uh, unknowingly ingested them via a B12 injection, possibly. Sure. Mm-hmm. All right, so you're at 13.4. Next, we've got, we just talked about this guy uh, a little while ago. I don't remember how many episodes ago. Very famous father who was a pitching co- a pitcher and a pitching coach, and now he is a pitching coach. Here he is, pitcher for the Royals, Mel Stottlemyre. Oh, yeah. Junior, I guess we should say. This, this would be the junior, yes. Former Royal farmhand, I believe. So Mel Stottlemyre only pitched for one year? I wow. guess I guess I'm getting him mixed up with Todd Stottlemyre, yeah, who had a much stronger brother. Yeah, the older brother. Yeah. Uh, one year for Mel Stottlemyre, that with the Royals. Unfortunately for you, that was in 1990. So while <laughs> well, he got a card in the 91 set, good news for you, though, I can see his real stirrups. Well, at least we got that out of it. Yeah, there so you go. You'll get a tenth of a point there for that. All right, so you're at 13.5. Your next card, I'm just going to give you one clue. Only team captain in Seattle Mariners history. You mean Spike Owen? That's exactly who I mean, Spike Owen. (laughs) Here, looking really sharp in this Expos uniform. Uh, It is uh, clearly a spring training game, but he's got a home white Expos uniform on that is just spectacular, and I love it. 13 years in the big leagues, four with Montreal, Four with Seattle, three with Boston, two with the Angels, one with the Yankees. 1991 with Montreal, 139 games, hit 255, 321 on base, three home runs, 26 RBI, two stolen bases, six caught stealing. Oops. Yeah. 94 OPS plus, and that is still good for a 2.5 war. Let's see. He has got eye black on and some great stirrups. Of course he does. He's Spike Owen. So that'll be a positive 2.7. That's a pretty good pack. Wow, the spike. Wow. Pretty good right there. So the the Mariners traded him as a team captain. He was a first-round draft pick, sixth overall in 1982 by the Mariners. 86, he's their team captain, and they trade him, along with Dave Henderson, to the Red Sox for Ray Quinones. Hmm. I'm going to go ahead and just say that the uh, the Red Sox got the better end of that deal. <laughs> it certainly sounds that way. I mean, Hendu had a pretty big home run in the uh, in the playoffs <laughs> yeah. for them. Uh, let's see. I think Spike Owen is coaching uh, somewhere right now. I'm not sure where. Oh, maybe he was coaching. He was a base coach for the Rangers a while ago. Looks like he might not be coaching anywhere right now. Uh, but let's see. You've got two cards left here. You're at 16.2. Next pitcher for the Tigers, Jeff Robinson, who I can tell you I'm not that familiar with. Yeah. Um, yeah, me neither. There was, there's a starter and a reliever. This is the reliever, right? Ye- de- no. This is the starter. <laughs> no? Okay. This okay. Is the starter. Okay. Uh, six years in the big leagues, came up with Detroit, four with Detroit, and then split some time between Pittsburgh, Texas, and Baltimore. When I think of Robinson in a picture, I think of Don Caveman Robinson. That's who I think of. Yes, that's that's who came to mind first for me, too. 1991 with Baltimore, he went 4-9 and nine with a 5.18 ERA, 104 innings, pitched 119 hits, 65 strikeouts, a 77 ERA plus, and that is a war of minus .4. He does have real stirrups on, though, so that'll only be a minus .3. Well, could have been worse. Yeah, I mean that that was uh, well, that was the year they started out oh and twenty two or whatever, right? Right. Yes. Uh, Sixty seven and ninety five mark overall. So, you know, to win four games, that's pretty impressive. Right. Yeah. No kidding. This is, by the way, we was referred to as Jeff M. Robinson to differentiate him from Jeff D. Robinson. Yeah, and this is definitely Jeff M. Oh, that's I did not know this. He passed away in twenty fourteen. 
after undisclosed health issues. Well, that's sad. All right, moving on. Uh, 15.9, your final card is, oh, well, it's good news for you. It's a Los Angeles Dodger. So uh, that's a half a point for you right off the bat. Oh, boy, this guy, uh, he played for the A's, most definitely. Also had a father that played in the big leagues. It is Stan Javier. And it is uh, finished his career with the Mariners. Uh, Good mustache. I mean, definitely bordering on a on a on a two tenths of a point mustache here. Uh, Also remember the 1989 Oakland Athletics. So you know what that means. Uh, that's the good World Series. That's uh, right. Overall, 17 years. Wow, 17 years in the big league. Seven with the A's, four with the Giants, three with the Dodgers, then Seattle, Philly, California, the Yankees, and Houston as well. 1991 with the Dodgers, 121 games, 205 average, 268 on base, one home run, 11 RBI, and a 57 OPS+. Plus. And that is a minus 0.4 war. Wow. Good news for you here. He's wearing real stirrups and he's got a really good mustache. So I'm going to go ahead and say you're only going to lose a 0.1. And you got that plus 0.5 for being a Dodger. So really, he he actually helped you out. Pulled out a miracle. Yes. All right. So overall, that is going to be a 16.3. Not too shabby. All right, so uh, 16.3, not bad. Let's go ahead and uh, open up my pack. So here we go. I am going to start off with California Angels shortstop. It is Dick Schofield. Not to be confused with ball player Ducky Schofield. Uncle of Jason Worth, Dick Schofield. Who knew? I did not know that. I didn't either. Uh, You know, we've probably said that before, and we just were old. We don't remember. Oh, Ducky was his dad. (laughs) Okay. Oh, so Dick Schofield uh, Sr. is Ducky. Yes. Uh, well, Dick Schofield Jr., 1993 World Series. How about that? Member of the uh, the Toronto Blue Jays. I don't remember that. But uh, overall, 14 years in the big leagues, 12 with the Angels, and then split time between Toronto, the Dodgers, and the Mets. In 1991 with the Angels, 134 games. He hit 225, 310 on base. No home runs, 31 RBI, a 61 OPS plus, and a war of 0.8. I'll take it. It's a positive. Yeah, 0.8, and he's got, no, he's got some just great real stirrups. I can see the horseshoe on him. Beautiful. That'll be a 0.9. I'll take that all day. Wow. Overall, third pick. First round, 1981 Um, by the Angels. We had a, a lot of third overall picks today already. Weird. We've talked about him before because uh, he's coaching at Dayton, University of Dayton, which I think is his, uh, probably his alma mater. All right, next uh, I've got pitcher for the Chicago Cubs, Les Lancaster. I remember Les because uh, WGN. It's the whole reason I'm familiar with Les. Seven years in the big leagues, five with the Cubs, split time with St. Louis and Detroit for a season each. In 91 with the Cubs, he went 9-7, and 3.52 ERA, 156 innings, pitched 150 hits, 102 strikeouts, a 110 ERA plus, and that is good for a war of 1.7. Wow. He does have two and ones on. Come on, Les. What's up with that? Yeah, I mean, that's our first pair today. Why you got to do me like that, Les? Less of those and more of real stirrups, please. Please. 139 total chances defensively and made one error. Mm. Not bad. Not bad. But uh, in the National League, uh, as long as Greg Maddox was around, you're not going to. No chance. Not going to snap that gold glove. All right, next I've got a pitcher for the Boston Red Sox, Rob Murphy. Well, so far my pack has been uh, what you would what you would call full of commons. Commons <laughs> also rands, <laughs> yes. so to speak. Let's see. Eleven years in the big leagues, four with Cincinnati, then split time with the Cards, Red Sox, Dodgers, Yankees, Mariners, Marlins, and Astros in 1991 with your Seattle Mariners. Mark, he appeared in 57 games, 0-1 record with a 3-point ERA, even. 48 innings pitched, 47 hits, 34 strikeouts, a 138 ERA plus, and that is good for a war of 1.3. Okay. I'll take it. Murphy is, a, and after my own heart, a horse racing enthusiast hmm. and developed his own method for handicapping and breeding. Now, this is, this is where it gets interesting. Um, his mother named eight of her horses after the franchises that he played for. Cincy Dancer, King of Beantown, Mariner Hawk, Houston Honey, Calling Card, 
nine dozen pinstripes. D. Jones after Doug jo- or Dale Jones, a Dodger scout, and Molly Kelly after Sweet Molly Malone, who sold cockles, mussels, but no Marlins. <laughs> <laughs> well, get this: he was a first round draft pick, third overall. No way. In 1981. This is getting weird. Yeah, he was also traded by the Reds, who had picked him with the Assaskin, Nick Assaski, to Boston for uh, Todd Benzinger. Ah. All right, so I'm at 3.8. My next uh, card is first baseman for Atlanta, Tommy Gregg. You're still following that uh, commons lead here. Yeah, really... uh, this is, uh, you know, in, uh, in in rack packs, <laughs> it's like one of them's good just to hook you, and then the other two are, are not. <laughs> uh, we've had Tommy recently, I can see here. Overall, nine years in the big league, six with Atlanta, two with the Bucks, one with the Reds, one with the Marlins. 1991 with Atlanta, 72 games, hit 187. Oh, good. 275 on base, one home run, four RBI, 60 OPS plus, and that is a war of minus 0.6. He's got two and one stirrups on, so that's minus 0.7. He does have some flip downs on, so that will only be a minus 0.6. But there are commons that are that are wearing two and ones, and that's not not making me happy. In all third overall picks. Yeah, except for Tommy Gregg. No, no, uh, he wasn't. Definitely not. Uh, Let's see. Next, I have got. uh, (laughs) Well, let's keep the ball rolling here. A pitcher for the Orioles, pitcher Mark Williamson. Eight years in the big leagues. Oh, he's an, he's an Oriole lifer. All of them with the Orioles. 1991 went 5-5 five and five with the 4.48 ERA out of the pen. 65 games, 80 innings pitched, 87 hits, 53 strikeouts, an 89 ERA plus, and a minus .3 war. I'm going the wrong way. Yeah, it's not working out right. Nothing else on this card is going to help me out. In uh, 91, he pitched a no-hitter along with Bob Malacky. Mike Flanagan and Greg Olson against your Oakland Athletics. That was the last one, wasn't it? Until I believe last so, yeah. year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Also, I think we've mentioned this before. Should you be looking for a new home in the San Diego area, make sure to look up Mark Williamson. There you go. I have uh, got four cards left. I'm at 2.9. I got a lot of work I got to put in here. I've got a Diamond King, though. It is uh, closer for the Chicago White Sox, Bobby Thigpen. Now, there's a guy that had quite a career. I finally got somebody that was an all-star at one point in their career. <laughs> uh, also, I think he set the record for saves in 90, right? With 57? Believe, yeah. Yeah, unfortunately, that was in 1990. 1991, he went 7-5 and five with the 3.49 ERA. Yikes. 30 saves, 69 innings, 63 hits, 47 strikeouts, a 115 ERA plus, and uh, a .1 war. He's got real stirrups on here, so it'll at least be a point two. But uh, just the year prior, he had a 3.54. He had 57 saves in 90. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, that's kind of impressive. Definitely. I mean, I didn't like it at the time because uh, Dennis Eckersley had the record until for like a, a year until Fig Ben came. He signed with the Mariners at the end of his career, but never got to play for him. They released him. Oh, well, here's somebody that is actually might get me something. Uh, it looks good in this card, too. Outfielder for the Red Sox, Ellis Burks. Oh, nice. We've talked about Ellis before, both of us fans. Good ball player. Yeah, we've talked about him quite a lot. I mean, he and Greenwell, I, that was a good time. Yeah. Uh, good good outfield with, the, with yes. the Red Sox. 18 years in the big leagues. Boston, Colorado, Cleveland, San Francisco, and the White Sox in 1991. 130 games at 251, 314 on base. 14 home runs, 56 RBI, 6 stolen bases, 11 caught stealing. Just stop. Uh, overall, that is uh, good for a war of 2.5. Now, looking at this, he has got a mustache. He has got eye black. Oh, but he's got two and ones. So uh, that'll only be a, uh, let's see, a 2.6. It's better than the other ones have been. Yeah, I mean, this is a great looking card, though, because first of all, it's in Oakland. It's a day game in Oakland. But his uh, his biceps are so big that, you know, his jersey, his sleeves are like hugging them to accentuate them. Much like I usually wear mine. Yeah, I know. That drives me nuts too, Jeff. (laughs) All right, I got two cards left here. Uh, Let's see here. I've got for Cleveland out of the bullpen. It is pitcher Doug Jones. Doug had some pretty good years too. 
yeah, I think he was an all-star. Let's see, five times it was an all-star. Let's see, 16 years overall. This card really looks like he was on set of Major League. I mean, these are the uniforms that they wore in the movie, and he looks like he belongs there. Overall, seven years in Cleveland, four in Milwaukee. Also spent time in Oakland, Houston, Philadelphia, the Cubs, and Baltimore in 91. Boy, sandwiched right in between a couple of all-star years. He went 4-8 and eight with a 5.54 ERA, 63 innings, 87 hits. Wow, 76 ERA plus, and a war of minus 0.4. The year before, he had a 2.4 war. The year before that, 2.8, 3.2. The year after, a 2.8. But I got a minus 0.4. <laughs> Uh, he does uh, he does have a mustache though. <laughs> that reminds me for some reason of Charlie Brown's Halloween special. You got a rock, pal. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, <laughs> this whole pack could be described as that so far. Uh, this may be a first for us. Jones passed away from COVID nineteen related complications in November of twenty one. Yeah, I think that that might be. I I know we've had him before. Uh, have we had him since uh, November? I I don't recall seeing yeah. that before. I don't know. I'm down to my final card. Now, I'm at 5.4. You finished with uh, (laughs) 16.3. You're going to need a pretty big card, maybe with three or four Hall of Famers on it. I need need Ricky Henderson. (laughs) I need with Steve Sachs uh, in it because, you know, he appeared in all three of our big shows. Or no, two of our our shows. He wasn't in Seinfeld. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I do. Okay, it's just not going to happen. But it's a good card because uh, with the Rangers, it's uh, Julio Franco. Uh, do I get extra points if he's still playing somewhere? I, I think so, yeah. All right. Uh, like 15 points or? Um, I think 14. Well, that's okay. <laughs> I still win. So 14 points. That puts me at 19.4. And we'll see you next week. Oh, okay. Uh, let's see. Overall, 23 years in Major League Baseball. Last played in Major League Baseball in 2007. 1999, all-star year. That's good for me. A batting title this year. Let's see. Hit 341, 408 on base, 15 home runs, 78 RBI, 36 stolen bases, and a 146 OPS plus. And all of that will equal a 6.2. Wow. Plus, he was an all-star, so that'll be 6.7. He's got eye black. And a mustache here. So that'll be a 6.9 plus my 14 points. <laughs> <laughs> now, but, but wait, Nolan Ryan's on the card too. Oh, no. No, he's not. <laughs> but now what makes it, that takes me up to 12.3. I, oh. I only lost by four points. Nice comeback. Just wasn't quite enough. Yeah, no. Uh, Julio, if he would have just had a couple of more awards... Uh, I, I mean, I guess we do need to check uh, pop culture. I think he's more of an, an icon to us than maybe elsewhere. Yeah. Well, and, and here's some of the reason why. He started off uh, in the minor leagues in 1978, and he finished in baseball. His final playing, actual playing career was in 2015 as a player manager for the Independent Baseball League, uh, Baseball Challenge League, actually. Wow. So he, he was still playing in 2015. Well, get this. Last Major League Baseball player eligible to wear a batting helmet with no ear flaps. Oh, wow. Also was the sixth batter that Roger Clemens ever faced. Oh, wow. They then faced each other again. June 15th, 2007 became the oldest batter pitcher pair in the Major Leagues since 1933. Wow. He's listed here with 13 different teams. <laughs> That's awesome. Good uh, good to know for Immaculate Inning. All right. Well, unfortunately, uh, this match has turned out the way that nobody except for you, Mark, wanted it to turn out. You've won that bunker right. score up to 11. I am still ahead 13 to 11. Not worried at all. I'm really good at this game. So uh, I'm not panicking <laughs> at all. It is, it is a game of, of true talent and gifts. Really yeah, is. now just in, everyone should acknowledge that I am Mark doesn't see these cards. I'm the one opening up, you know, opening them up here in in the remote. No, I guess this is the main studio. You're in the remote studio, but I could just be picking and choosing the good ones. But no, and, and yet I have never won a wax pack hero title. So well, and and Jeff, it's, we have to have to say, and and this is on behalf of all the listeners. No one would ever expect foul play from you. No one ever expected the Spanish Inquisition either. That's right. No one. No one. (laughs) 
Monty Python reference. Very nice. <laughs> we we, we kind of touch all of the greatest hits. That's uh, right. Here on Tease Tech Noise. But that is going to do it for this episode of uh, Wax Packs Heroes. Also going to do it for this uh, week's show. If uh, you want to get a hold of us, we are at Two Strike Noise. We're all over. Just put it in Google. Look in the show notes or send Mark a personal email with an uh, appropriate picture, if you will, uh, to what email address, Mark? Well, it, you got to spell it. That's the tough part. You can't use the number two. TWO Strike Noise, Two Strike Noise at gmail.com. Do we also own uh, Two Strike Noise, TO Strike Noise, and TOO Strike Noise? believe those were purchased by uh, another baseball history podcast oh okay the other two two strike noise podcasts. that's right all right well don't send them anything just send it to us uh we'll look at those so uh yeah thanks everybody once again for joining us and uh, you know we'll see you on the next episode of two strike noise thank you all god bless you have a great day